This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book this week. I watched a show this week. We are covering Netflix's You. This has grown in such a way that now it's undeniable. We thought in its third season now just premiering, to have the reception it's having, why not kind of unpack why this is popping in such a phenomenal fashion in a third season when when shows are typically waning in audience? This is growing an audience. This is finding an audience. So we're going to break yeah. it apart here today. I have seen the first and second season, and my girlfriend and I are currently pacing out, not binging the third. So there will yeah. be no spoilery sorts of things for if you're not caught up or if you don't really know what's going on with the story. How interesting that you've seen much of this one <laughs> in an odd turn of the tables. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, you, you have seen almost all of it. <laughs> yeah, we're working through it. Like you were talking about with it growing and being big, I saw, you know, Netflix has their own metrics. So who watches The Watchmen with them? But they said <laughs> that it was in terms of original TV streaming for 2020. It was the 10th most watched and it didn't even come out in 2020. It didn't even have a new season. Right. It was always churning along, gaining more people. Yeah. But let's start with the book and the author, because this came out quite a while ago, literarily, and had fits and starts of actually being something that people binge on Netflix. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm fascinated. I mean, I don't know much about the book itself, but I'm fascinated in terms of the frame here and, and how the book was used for the first season and then and then how this has grown on its right. own seemingly on its own legs i want to know really about book author and post book uh, and evolving this into now second and third season yeah so the first book came out in september of 2014 eons ago especially as you're talking about the old so world clued into social media as well. I mean, it was still big, but 2014 versus 2021 and how yeah. material it is to our every 50 Yeah, I was just thinking lives. about like all of the apps that have come and gone <laughs> since then, like all of like there were things then that like I didn't wouldn't, you know, you just yeah. it wasn't a thing. It didn't exist, you know, and it's like now it's well, you got to do that if you're into this. Or the naivete of just, I'm going to post on Twitter about where I'm drinking coffee every five right, seconds. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. the, so, I mean, the, the the social media themes were evident from the open. <laughs> yeah, from the that's very open. much is part of what the author was pondering. Her name is Carolyn Kepneys. She was a reporter for Entertainment Weekly after graduating and shortly after graduation. She moved to L.A. after living in New York, worked for E! with an exclamation point, doing mm. a gossip column and then had her own column covering movies and TV. She did a spec script for Seventh Heaven. Mm. She is on the coasts. The big downturn, what caused her to write this book, she had moved home to Massachusetts after her dad had cancer unexpectedly. Oh, no. And he died in 2013. And she also had medical complications, had oh, this, no. what I could tell, impromptu throat surgery for some sort of thing. And then there were issues with her insurance because of an identity theft that happened with Whoa, her records. No Just disaster after disaster. She said, every Gosh. sphere of my life was a disaster. And that's why I started writing my first novel, because it was... The fire was lit of, quote, I cannot listen to myself just bitch and cry. I have to put this into something, mm. which is sometimes wow. we see that with you're either on the highest high or the lowest low and you say, 
let me get after Push it. Push to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this is this is her first novel, uh, a formative moment social media wise. She was. She said she was at a Starbucks and there was nowhere to sit and everybody's on the computers, but they're all on some social media just screwing around. So that pisses her off. Mm -hmm. Finally, she gets a seat. But what does she do? Go on to Facebook immediately (laughs) and turns around. And now there's some guy glaring at her. And she's like, how easily we become the asshole Mm -hmm. was what she said. That's an interesting thought. Mm -hmm. And Joe, as a character, is very at ease with himself and at judging other people. Mm Mm-hmm. So she moves back to L.A. after being in Massachusetts, and more inspiration is growing out of moving back to L.A., and everyone is following each other on social media and being followed, and she saw it as a big negative thing. Both of these concepts of of (laughs) you being the asshole and judging people and putting yourself out there to everyone. Right. The one thing that maybe you picked up on as well is there's a lot to do with books, in the show because he yeah. works at a bookstore and it's all about she wants to be a writer. There's a lot of novely type stuff. Mm-hmm. Which I was thinking about because the driving voiceover. Joe has a voiceover that really propels much of it, mm-hmm. uh, much of the show. And so I it, that you're in the bookstore, they're talking about novels. So I, that was all kind of tying in together. I, I wonder what all is done with the voiceover going forward, because, again, I haven't seen into season two yeah. watching it all. But that all felt very much of like trying to build that like the the prosiness of a novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very much the book is in the second person because it's him. Ta- I mean, there's some I did this and you get the dialogue from other people, but it's all him saying you as if he's telling this story mm-hmm. and talking to her when clearly he's not and he's outside her window. Mm-hmm. Um Tying into the thematics of books and the perspective, Joe is the ultimate reader. And so Caroline was saying he's treating the whole world like it's a book, which I Mm. thought was an interesting Mm -hmm. uh, observation. And then also tying into narration, the unreliable narrator of social media where everybody is narrating what they're doing, but also it never stops (laughs) because you can just scroll forever. So it's both of those things tied in that then marry really well in the show. I see. So you had asked about then where does it go from there? She had written a sequel even before the first show. No. Yeah. Hidden Bodies in 2016, continuing the story. And that is what the second season is based on. Fantastic. Okay. Okay. She had a third book come out in 2021 called You Love Me, and it deviates even more because things that happen in the end of the second book and season do not align. Mm. How did this become popular? Well, everybody says, have you seen you on Netflix? I was tickled to see that Netflix did not make this show, which (laughs) I don't think most people know at all that this was not their doing, and it has a longer road to becoming popular. Yeah, right as we were going on, I, I like tripped up because I, I like saw part of this story <laughs> before we were about to go on. Um, I'd had totally forgotten about this. Uh, it, this is a bizarre chapter of like actually getting this to the screen because I think mm. most people are, are taking it as a Netflix original. It's this kind is of what people are just misnomering it as. Yeah, you is a failed television show. And people, <laughs> and then it's not when it goes on Netflix and there's 150 million people that can watch all of it at the same time when they want. When they want. <laughs> so this was uh, developed by Greg Berlanti, who did Dawson's Creek. He does all the CW superhero shows. 
All, <laughs> is that the theme? <laughs> the, the, yeah, the Dawson's Creek. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's, I mean, decades in the television world. And then Sarah Gamble is the co-showrunner, and she was on Supernatural and has had also 15 years plus. Oh, they are all over it. In the television business. Oh, yeah. yeah. Seasoned veterans. These are people you want to make Mm -hmm. something like this. This is cool. I I had no idea it was these people behind it. Absolutely. So Sarah Gamble is the main person. She is the premier showrunner, writer of all of it. And Greg Berlanti is on the side for this one. So her take on it she was saying the idea is that it's a lead in a romantic comedy who works in a bookstore and a woman walks in they have a meet cute fall in love live happily ever after like that's the show but if you put a david fincher score on it this is the mm-hmm. the, the lens they want to put at it is right. and a lot of the stuff that they made also gossip girl and dawson's creek and all these things like romantic comedies are stalker movies romantic yeah. comedy behavior in real life chasing a woman through the airport Protectively give it watching that her sleep. analytical Fincher lens. <laughs> yeah, I see what they're doing. I see what they're doing. They're really smart. That's really there's, so, there's such a smart uh, pairing, uh, and the the taste just on the mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I I'm really enjoying hearing this about Greg and Sarah, <laughs> <laughs> and a deposition on media as well because it's the way that we put the point of view and that in these romantic stories we're very quick to judge women and to forgive men. Mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. the sake of love as the driving factor. And this is what we're inundated with. And I thought Sarah had an interesting point where she was saying, not just making this, because you could draw scrutiny as being like, why are we following the serial killer guy? What right. is the point of that? But she's saying it's, right. it's, she was saying it's not just a victim story from women's point of view. You know, it's also looking at media. What does this stuff do to men? What are the messages we're feeding little boys about romance and pursuing love at all costs and being right and and yeah, you know, you have to think about the accidental things that people like idolize. It's just like Wolf of Wall Street shouldn't have had people like trying to dress up as Jordan Belfort for Halloween. Like that's not the impression you should have had from that movie. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, you could this happens all the time. Gordon Gecko in Wall Street is the things that we inject into these material. Sometimes we're trying to talk about. About something and a lot of the times it gets it gets held up for the the thing you were trying to like tear down mm-hmm. <laughs> or at the very least have a dual sides conversation yes on. absolutely 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 i mean because because i mean both are there you're commenting on the thing but then you have a you have the thing and the comment uh, mm-hmm. and there's two there's two sides to that so it, it's a phenomenon that i'm fascinated with all the time when i see characters or thematics just like just wildly misattributed by audiences. Mm-hmm. So this is Greg and Sarah reading the book and then starting in 2015, they loved it. They're on it. They get what she's going for. They want you to finish a thing and then be like, why did I, why am I still liking him? Should yeah. I like him? It's like, exactly. That's the point. Right. I've heard it <laughs> described as, as with the character of Joe stretching it out is how, how far can they go with the character until you don't like him? That's mm-hmm. the whole game of it, which is a really fascinating thing to like focus a show about it down to a character wise. As you look at his arc, if it's, he's the central character. Well, if you know, as the, as the makers, you shouldn't like this guy, but we're making it in such a way you're going to like him. We're going to make you like him to begin with, but then we're going to start giving you reasons, planting you, showing you reasons you shouldn't like him. We're going to overtly tell you very quickly you shouldn't like him, but you're going to anyway because that's (laughs) how story works and that's what we're doing here. How far can this go? How long can this go on? 
we're yeah. three seasons in <laughs> and there's worse and it's a game of stretching it out that's it's a really that's a really fascinating uh driving kind of thesis there yeah definitely they are thinking do we have a turn <laughs> that's what's so interesting where the audience mm-hmm. is like i uh, this this is not a fulfilling enough <laughs> or like right the conversation of okay we've gone too far and now we what can, what can you do with the character what situation can you put him in who can you pair him up with that becomes a lot of mm-hmm. the, the obvious questions going forward past the first season because the first season is much focused on one girl and the pursuit yeah, yeah. of one girl which is the the purview of the book but then beyond it it becomes a question of like well what would he do next and what would he do with this person <laughs> and, and what, what has happened pursued a person that's you know you know mm-hmm. it, 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 yeah. the questions of how can you manipulate transplant him into a different place what does that do to him and what and how can we string the audience along with us? But you're going to forget about all of the horrible things he's done in the meantime. Yeah. <laughs> and also willfully, you know, he's not a mastermind genius. Right. Creepy. Right. Pa- like, not like he, he also like has the, his like past some... and his trauma and he has a horrible childhood and he was not taught the proper ways to be a man in modern society. Right. And so you, you also pull at the audience that way or the way that he's trying to rectify it by helping the neighbor kid when he's being abused. And so it is right. not just, oh, right. he's Satan who is Yeah, they have some major yeah. callback, the you know, flashbacks that are driving points for the character that I mm-hmm. think and I think will continue to be uh, you know, North Stars for them going forward because there's still yeah. elements about it that are un- unaddressed. Yeah, so the, all of that is very much in the book. The pitch process for this, for Greg and Sarah, they stalked, cyber-stalked a bunch of executives. They Real women. With. <laughs> <laughs> they lived the part. No, they, uh, for the pitch process, they just looked at the heads of these studios and the people that they were going to talk to. And when they went in to pitch mm. this idea to show kind of the 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 real part of it, you know, they told them That's where they cool. got their hair appointment on Saturday and where we're they gonna go in there. We're going to creep them out. Greg, <laughs> they you said, got me. Greg, look at me. We're going to scare <laughs> the hell out of them. Greg, <laughs> we know where their kids went to summer camp. So <laughs> get ready. So they said, well, this will either never work again or we'll have a show. Um, <laughs> either we will be run out of this town immediately or they'll or get it. We'll be rich. So, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, did not do well in the pitching. Oh no! Process. Huh. Although, okay, so don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> although it just depended on who they were talking with. So Netflix declined it twice in this. Wow. Thing. I so they didn't they get Netflix. Are firing some people. <laughs> Uh, they're long gone by yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> um, Showtime, though traditional television, they said yes and. They worked with them for a year on developing the pilot, and then they passed on it and said, no, actually, we don't want this. So they have the pilot. They had the work on it. Lifetime bought it. No. Lifetime is going to make you. And uh, This is what tripped me up before we went on. (laughs) What? Because I cannot name- It'll it'll make sense. (laughs) I cannot name a Lifetime show. Me Like- so I looked into Lifetime. I could make there- some up and they'd probably be right, maybe. <laughs> well, here's, here's, especially for our international listeners, like Lifetime is geared towards women or women in lead roles. The biggest show that they've had recently is called Dance Moms. It's a lot of reality daytime shows mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for women. Shop Till You Drop was big. 
they do a lot of great. It's almost like the Hallmark reruns. channel. We did we did a little yeah. a little thing about the Hallmark. It's a little bit feeling like that kind of content, but a bit like, more salacious. And like the big thing, the made for yeah, TV films yeah. that they do are like Women in Peril original movies, some cyber stalker get, or yeah, some yeah. creepy, you know, like that kind of stuff. So it does make sense that then they would want such a thing. It fits within their wheelhouse of who they're. Mm -hmm, audience mm -hmm. demographic is Sarah was on her third season of a show, the magicians. So she's dual wielding as well as mm -hmm. Greg though. They did it with lifetime lifetime made the first season and finally came out, you know, week to week in September of 2018, but lifetime canceled their renewal as it was airing. Wow. Greg Berlanti is just like, wait until people see it all. Wait until they see five episodes, <laughs> you know, don't, wow. don't, uh, go off on this but it was good and to okay you know it was 650,000 viewers per episode average mm -hmm. for perspective a regular monday night american football game will get 11 million viewers mm. so it was like well what do you know what's yeah. going on with this but then boom here's the big change netflix picks it up for the second season they say we want it once it's done airing we want to put it on netflix and we want to then make the next one. So the first ah. season went to streaming in December of that year, just a few months after, rebranded as a Netflix original. Uh -huh. And 40 million views in the first four weeks versus wow. 650 per episode. 650 I mean, and per largely, did they do anything? I mean, they didn't do anything. It was already it. done. They just put it, it out. It's done. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so Lifetime and all these other people who have, ha have had, this is past hands through, have just got to yeah. be kicking themselves going, they, they just let this walk away. They didn't support it in a way that actually let it find its audience. I mean, shame on them. And I mean, to the degree of- <laughs> Netflix did nothing, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and it- <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and but it also and, yeah. it knocked a home run. These these companies just I, I, are too busy to even know what they have when they have it. I think it's also to Lifetime's credit putting it together. Like Penn Badgley is like it was everybody there that did it. It's also just the way that people watch television now. Like true to put true. it out on Lifetime. Like how many people are tuning in on on Thursday at 7 p.m. to see you. Like there's I was going back in to the archives you of the internet. You couldn't convince me to do and yeah, yeah. And people, <laughs> but people are like, hey, it's so much easier to be like, hey, watch you on Netflix yeah, versus yeah, yeah. get the lifetime app and get a free trial of their streamings. Like, how in the world I was I was laughing because the irony of watching interviews with Penn and the other people that were on it when it was on Lifetime in September. There's interviews on YouTube and, and they're like, well, we liked the book because it was so binge worthy and we hope people will binge it. And it's like, how could they? Th like they already also knew that like it wasn't. It's just it's just funny that they were advertising it as such when it was on Lifetime, when it was really, God. really hard to do it that way. Well, that goes to show you like it, things just might not be in the right place for them to find their audience, whatever mm -hmm. that thing is. I mean, it's a it's a really hard thing to make these things fire in the correct way because again the show wasn't touched they just this is a this is a distributor switch and boom uh <laughs> it was able to find its audience now that's not 
for everything, it's not like everything should go to Netflix, but like some things that just works better there. <laughs> there's or there's other things like I'm 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 reading about like things like Judge Judy now being remade to <laughs> right. to do new episodes on like Paramount Plus, and it's just like, but that's kind of like losing all of the daytime right. quality, <laughs> like let it wash over you like when you're at the doctor's office or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so it's that we're in this weird flux of where things don't we're everything everywhere all the time, and I guess only see what sticks in, in some way but uh, this is so fascinating to see that hopscotch and then finally stick yeah um, and that the creative onus was not one of these netflix announcements it was like it was already done and it had been processed yeah. for a for a while for months and months and months and and effort put into it so now we go on to the show growth the thematics the casting the right. adding to it the second season there's no commercial breaks. They can swear more. They can be scary. <laughs> like there's just physical, tangible you can things. Get those fingernails in it <laughs> <laughs> because because it's not. Uh, you don't have to cut to a commercial about Wheaties or whatever. It, it's just interesting that that's also a piece of it that gets added as well as okay, we've we've done this. You get validated. You go, that was good. Yes, and let's build it. Let's go harder. Let's now, mm -hmm. okay, the training wheels are coming off. We can say that word. You know, we're going to show <laughs> this. We're typically, we'd cut to the next scene. What can we do with it that actually means something? Yeah. Well, how liberating, how, how, how vindicated <laughs> they must feel. I mean, to, to be honest, of just mm -hmm. having done the first season and then to be able to come back and really play with it and really, uh, really evolve it and, and do it better. And you had mentioned the curiosity of where is Caroline, the writer of the book, in all of this. Yes. Because she had already had the first and second book by the time this goes to Netflix. Yeah. So she was very involved in the creation of the show. And I'll post links to some interviews. She's just a great interviewer. Like she's sitting with Sarah mm -hmm. and Penn talking. And she's like, she's asking them all the questions I want to know about the show, even though she was there. <laughs> For the most part, like she wrote, she's the the writer on episode eight of the first season. Oh, so she, awesome! <laughs> so she has a screenplay credit. She wrote this. That's you very know, cool. And she was involved in it. And then she, the second book, Joe goes to L.A. Though you know, yeah. for different reasons and things changes, but she, he still meets this love character that he's following. All that is yeah. the same. That's all from her. And then she's involved in the second and third season. She's producer growing it beyond, which must be so weird because a fourth book yeah. is coming out and a fourth season is coming out. But now they've deviated completely because of who dies and who lives. And, you know, interesting. All well, that kind of stuff. They're not waiting on it. And it's, you know, got it, mm -hmm. you know, getting stuck with it like Game of Thrones or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess we should make it up. Uh, you know, at least at least she's like there and in the room and like writing episodes and and, and seems like she, you know, that's fine if they change it. It's, it's like I, I, I haven't heard anything that's where she's like doesn't, you know, agree with what's happening. Sounds like she's right there with them shoulder. Well, to because shoulder. she's also such a book person and having lived in L.A. Yeah. and writing articles about celebrity like she understands exactly. the film side of stuff. She gets both. Penn was complimenting yeah. her in an interview about how she keeps the point of view for the book. And of course it's going to be different for the show. But like you said, yeah. this, this voiceover stuff, I, I thought of an interesting production tidbit that he pended the voiceover stuff before doing the scenes. And it, a lot of it was improvised or he's just going off alone in a room, but it does, it sounds like he's talking to one person 
the mm-hmm. audience member or talking to you before even getting out to do the scenes. Mm-hmm. And then he said an interesting thing with the show is much of the acting, he's already said the lines because there's whole scenes where he's just talking to somebody else, but he's not doing that in the acting. He's just outside staring at a building or walking yeah, through a thing, right. try, trying to hide something. And it's like, it's all his internal monologue, which is very rare for shows, which is what I was. I would, that was, if in. I had a criticism, which it wasn't a criticism because I didn't watch enough for it to under, to see how it played out. But I was wondering if going forward, how much of it you would be able to do without him doing anything in the frame, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. at a certain, and I saw some level criticism at it of being like, well, it's all in the voiceover. He's just kind of there. I was wondering how that would play out and what that actually looks like going forward or how closely they could really stick to the, those mechanics of the voiceover and what, what, it, how the show traditionally would work. Yeah. They, they stick to it and they keep with it. And obviously he has more interactions with people and there's more characters and whatnot as they open up. He has to kill somebody some Further seasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's got to hide his, cover his tracks. Yeah. But as far as Sarah talking about the thematics and growing the show, she was like, Penn doesn't comment on the character while he's playing him. We're on the same page that we're burning him to the ground. So... Penn is also like, I don't like him. You know, like I don't, (laughs) there Uh are aspects you have to identify with as an actor, but he's like, it's not, he's not uh, glad about what Joe Joe is or is doing or, you know, it's a hard role to play when you are being the vessel for this message or this conversation, but not, you just have to act. (laughs) You just have to, it's like, I don't, I don't want to be like him. I don't like him. I don't see. Yeah you know, the redemptive qualities of certain things. It's like he's ahead of the game where it's like he's on the other side of it where everybody else is like, well, how far, how much, how long can we like him? They're in the game of it. And he's on the other side because he knows the character. He's like, don't do it. Don't you don't. Because well, he's also like, like, I have to be. Him. Him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. You shouldn't like him. You should. <laughs> yeah. This is the the interesting audience reaction. Greg Berlanti said that of his more than 10 shows on the air, most of which are actual superheroes. I might add, Joe is the highest <laughs> testing. People like him the most. Oh God! <laughs> which is why people Penn... love Ted Bundy. Yeah, they yeah. loved him. Well, and that's <laughs> that's the word is love, which is what's different than Ted Bundy. Is you know people? Greg is saying that's the reason. Oh, uh, Joe Goldberg does. He's doing all this stuff for love, and our stories around love are so ingrained that it's like, oh yeah, chasing right. someone through the airport. Like maybe that's not good or like oh you know i mean joe goldberg goes to the max and with social media to stalk and find people but uh it's all under this joe is doing it for love and so that it's just interesting that that (laughs) tests so high pen badgley called it a rorschach test that we're failing (laughs) like oh yeah yeah for some people now some people also it's it's all in jest of being like why do i like him and it's like well there you go that's right that's part of it So that's then with this season two, Sarah's saying, we're well aware now what the character is doing is not okay. It's deeply problematic. So what do we do from there? Mm -hmm. And she was Mm -hmm. saying, ultimately, like, this is a show about a guy who kills people. Like, (laughs) let's never forget that with this. But what does he think he's done wrong? And what does he think he has to do differently? And can we relate to that in some way? What will this character taking responsibility look like? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what we've asked the other questions, you know, we've asked Mm -hmm. some of the others. This will be one that could end the show. 
and then he has to move because it's like it's all based on his past actions. Victoria Pedretti, who is Love, the main interest mm-hmm. in the second season, she had auditioned for Beck prior to the first mm. season filming. And wow. she was cast after Greg Berlanti saw Netflix's Haunting of Hill House, which was her first main role in any uh, uh, yeah. TV media. So he saw her and said, oh, that's her. And then they did a chemistry read on the script and then she got it. And this is also part of what does Joe think he's doing wrong? What is he trying to do differently? It's his mental projection of her as a fantasy girl. And then that gets shifted for the audience as well. Right. What is interesting is that that is not a part of the second book. Mm. She is not this Joe's equal, I suppose, in his obsessiveness and right. the lengths he will go or has gone. None of that is for in the this, second book. For the second season, they asked themselves, what would it look like for Joe to be paired up with a character much like himself? Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating question. Fascinating question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, I mean, so there they are uh, asking themselves questions outside the book. Uh, but I think they're the right questions in terms of bringing it to the screen. It's different for what's compelling to be watching moment to moment. And especially when they have such an amazing thesis for what the character of Joe is, what the game of the show really is, which is mm-hmm. the stretching out. This is an integral question to ask about this character. Well, what does he look like paired next to his equal? I see it as a wildly valid uh, way to go. And it's probably the reason that they've got a third season, because it was such an intriguing question to ask. Yeah, I think very broadly, Joe likes a woman, likes her way too much, likes her to death, and then the fantasy is broken. You know, but like with this, it's like, oh, but he can't do that now. And they did it, yeah, such a switch by the end of the second season that you're like, oh, that's why people then get drawn to the third season. And people are like, you have to Mm -hmm. see this because I don't know where they're going with this because we thought there was a format of where he's going to, he's, I mean, he can be Joe anywhere. He just has to not know the error of his ways, and then hop town, and then deal with the fallout. You could see this show no, going a very different way. They're really way. taking him on a real arc, it feels like. They're not sticking to the format. They're evolving the character so that by the end of this thing, they're probably going to wind up with something that probably probably stands to say a whole lot. Um, that's, what I, that's what I'm <laughs> seeing. It's, it's, they're not asking these questions for no reason. They're not closing doors just for you know willy nilly is they're closing in on this character because without that then what what is there to to come back well we know okay well he's going to do this again there's the four they have to mm-hmm. switch it up a little bit and and when they're so focused in on what the show really is which is the game of how stre- how far you can stretch this character they're at they're, they're really asking in fascinating questions that and are, the, yeah. are really building an audience i think that uh, honestly i think that has got to be a ton of the key here is how they are manipulating Joe, strictly Joe. They're not precious about hardly anything about this show or these characters, the book, except for Joe. Mm-hmm. Get that audience to like, not understand why they're coming back to, and they're just <laughs> sitting through another one. We'll sit through another one. Yeah. What, what effects this has on people out in the real world. I know when the first season came out, people changed their passwords and, yeah. and uh, <laughs> private <laughs> Switch it to private. Yeah, put their accounts on. It really did a number on people to be like, oh, I uh, maybe maybe I am a bit too brazen with my social media posting. Well, again, it's like I I got it right in the show open. He's looking at like through her Facebook page or Instagram or whatever, and he's like, you want to be seen. You want Mm. this to be seen. You know, and I was like, that's a pretty astute 
statement, you know, for something that really passingly is done so trivially. You know, we just you post a picture, you know, um, yeah. but we want it to be seen. He's not wrong when he says it, but it's an interesting thing because we don't mean it the way he's doing it. But we can't control what other people's intentions are when they look at <laughs> when they look at images, when they yeah. look at when they experience something that we've put out there to be seen. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it, it right right off the show up and it grabbed me with those themes. I think that also as the show progresses, talking about why people are sticking with it, at least from what I've seen of the third season, they don't harp too much on social media presence. Think about like we've already learned enough of that in the past three years, four years, God. whatever. So it's yeah, like yeah. that that doesn't become it's still involved and there's still a lot of technology in our daily lives in the show. But they did continue to progress that and it not be like, oh, well, that's the gimmick. He's this and he stalks somebody on social media and then right. he right. has there's trouble far with far more to what how he operates than just some again, not sticking him down into a formula, which is such that's the reason I think when you're building things with 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 an audience is you're not he's not just he doesn't just have an operation he's not honestly he's not just a writhing serial killer that's the difference and really down to the the love mechanic of it because mm-hmm. the typically a serial killer is out for other other reasons and they have a, a modus operandi they have a set mechanic and there's a way things that there's a way that they lure people into their traps and there's a set way that they do it that they know that that works and they can pull it off this isn't exactly that. He's kind of going, each one is its own case and he's following them and into their each context. And this killing isn't exactly the goal, but we, <laughs> we wind up there. Um, yeah. And he's not a master. Again, he's not a mastermind covering his, his tracks. He's just managing to get away with it, mm-hmm. um, which is a really a- interesting angle for the, for the whole thing is that he's not just like, you know, 18 steps ahead of the, inve- or there's some cat and mouse play with an investigator hot on his trail. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he's like 47. <laughs> seconds away from messing it up at any given time because it's not what he's good at or built for at all that's what is interesting about this character i think uh, and what breaks it out of that serial killer stalking a serial killer. i think most people will sum up the first season is like well if you want to see a serial killer stalk their prey watch the first season but then the rest of the show goes on to say well, there's a, there's far more i mean even in the first season there's far more that goes into it um yeah we also have a personal connection to this oh, in, that's a, right. in a bizarre way because <laughs> um, we went to school with two of the prominent actors, Elizabeth Lale. Uh, we both worked on productions with back in school and we both made something with Dylan Arnold, who's a major character in the third season. So this is a little bit odd for us. And we usually there have been there have been times where we've worked with people who have been in things and we haven't mentioned anything, but never so close to home. We're like Dylan is a good friend of mine. <laughs> yeah. So this is really uh, uh, this felt like appropriate to to mention that. So if you want to see something that me and Taylor actually made with Dylan, uh, you can go on my link tree. Uh, I'll just put a uh, link. Slash yeah. Evan Scott. yeah, it'll be in our show notes. Uh, but link tree slash Evan Scott Russell. It'll be right there. The first thing. Um, yeah, it's really bizarre. Um, but I'm so so happy for for both of them. They're, they're right to see people off. from our school and people that we knew that are on the. Acting, yeah, I'm, I'm like looking through side. this. I'm like, there he is. He has a Wikipedia page. It's bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Well, thank you guys so much for sticking with us. Thank you, Taylor. Thank this you. was a blast. Let us know what you are into. Let us know what you're reading. Let us know what you are watching. You never know when we'll do an episode about that thing you want to know. Reach out to us at IlliteratePod on Instagram with all suggestions. 
questions, comments, curse words. Thank you so much. Check out those show notes and we will check you out next week. Thank you.